we can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. It's Wednesday, May 3rd. This is yours truly, Ryan Warner. It's been over a week since we released the Henry Cejudo experiment, and I must say the reception has been over-the-top amazing. Can't thank everyone who's listened, left a review, reshared a post, retweeted a link. It's just been amazing to see how much the wrestling community is enjoying this story. And I will say, folks, because of everyone's diehard listening, Wrestling Changed My Life podcast cracked the Apple Top 200 Sports podcast. We were there all last week, right around the 90-ish mark. So 90 out of all sports podcasts in the world, and there's you know hundreds of thousands. And that's all because of you folks. So thank you so much for listening to the Henry Cejudo Experiment. And in this episode, I have my boy Raleigh Peterkin on, and we recap the making of the Henry Cejudo experiment. So Raleigh's been on many times before. He's instrumental in the writing and editing of these audio documentaries. We work hand-in-hand hand together, and it was great to have Raleigh on to talk about his point of view of how we got from last summer to a fully produced audio documentary right now. So I hope you enjoy it. We have another bonus episode going live today with one Kendall Cross, and then next Monday... We're back to our regularly scheduled programming. Fan of the week goes to our friend Lucas McCaskey, Roughneck165 on Apple Podcast. Five-star review. Lucas says, not just wrestling content, but life content. My go-to and the only wrestling podcast I listen to. Can't get enough. Thank you so much, Lucas. We greatly appreciate it. And again, folks, thanks to everyone who's retweeted, reposted, left an Apple podcast review for the Henry Cejudo experiment. We greatly appreciate it. And without further ado, let's give it up for this recap episode with Raleigh Peterkin. Just a quick update from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club. They were with us last year, and they're back to promote their upcoming summer camps. If you're in the PA area, check out these camps. Amazing clinicians. The first camp is June 27th through the 29th at the Spooky Newt Complex in Lancaster, PA. Clinicians include Mike Evans, David McFadden, and Brian Pearsall, who's the head coach at, excuse me, the head associate coach at Penn and a former Penn State wrestler. 
The Frog Ninja Wrestling Club is also doing a second camp in Oxford, PA, July 11th through the 13th. One of my favorite clinicians for this camp is Morgan McIntosh, who's an Army Green Beret, three-time All-American, and NCAA finalist for Penn State. He was also a three-time California State champ. He's going to be at the second camp in Oxford, PA. So register now at frogninjawrestlingclub.com. Raleigh Peterkin, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, Ryan. Good to good to be on. Finally, we've been talking about this uh, recap forever. I think since the beginning, we've been excited for this part. <laughs> yes, uh, it's it's one of my favorite parts. And for folks who uh, who are just tuning in and haven't listened to the Henry Cejudo experiment, stop what you're doing. Go listen to episode one. It's something Raleigh and I worked on together, and man, it is it's here, it's out, and the reception's been amazing, man. What are your what are your thoughts so far in the release? Yeah, well, you know, I've been messaging you because you're getting all the all the people are tagging you and you're getting all the messages. And I'm like, I want to see this. I've been stalking uh, your, your Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Every time I see someone's uh, reaction, I get I get really excited. Jason Bryant with the good with the good comment there. He said it's the the, the best audio doc he's, he's heard. And uh, a lot of those, man, it's really cool to see uh, some of the comments that I've seen have just been incredible and it's really satisfying uh i think both you and i were when we were like working on it we were really excited about it and we were like oh this is going to be awesome i can't wait for people to hear it and then for people to hear it and to get that feedback is really cool yeah it's so cool it's just such a it's such a crazy feeling to have something in your head for so long and then when i bring it to you for the first time the nerves are are very real and then when we bring it to the public it's like another unveiling it's uh yeah it's interesting but yes yeah, so let's go back to when uh when do you think this one started if you go back to it what do you mean what like when did it start when did the idea start or what yeah cuz i remember when we were finishing escape from inglewood i was in a hotel for work and we were kind of talking like like that one was basically done and it was like what what would be next and i think it was like dc it was this it was kale and then like when do you remember this one picking up steam well i just remember i was in las vegas and i got a call from you and you were just like hey i just talked to chael i'm thinking about this uh this Henry Cejudo documentary and instantly like like before you finish a sentence I was like this is awesome we need to do this this is amazing because for me like I had read Henry's book a few years ago and I always loved Henry's story and I've known Henry for years and I think one of the things that excited me the most from the beginning was how misunderstood he is and how that was like the big thing you know like everyone sees the king of cringe and all this stuff and so as soon as you said it I was like I'm on board full steam ahead. This is what we're going to do. And uh, well, actually, why don't you take people into then like how it started for you? I mean, you you had a conversation with Chael and, and how did that go? Yeah. So basically it was talking to Chael about, you know, we're trying to grow the podcast, but also tell an amazing story. What's the best way to tap into some of this bigger audience? So that, that was one aspect of it. But then also it's like, you know, who from those UFC, that UFC world could we potentially get in? you know, talked about DC, talked about Henry. And at that time, you know, Henry had just re-entered the USADA testing pool. And so Chael's like, if you can get him, let's do it. And so he actually sent the introductory message and kind of introduced us. And that was probably in June when Chael sent that that message and then followed up again in July. And then basically August 1, 
I had locked in with Henry the interview, which was scheduled for like late November. And so August one, it was like, all right, it's on. And uh, yeah, from then it was like August. And then I got, I got married in September. And so August, September, October, a lot of research, a lot of structure, and then interviews, November, December. And then, uh, and then the script writing process began basically in January. And then that's, you know, that's when it really starts picking up steam. So what was it like uh, meeting with Henry and all that stuff? Like, I assume you hadn't met him before this, right? Have you ever, no. you, you hadn't talked to him or anything? I had, yeah, I'd never met him before. It's funny, when I was in eighth or ninth grade, I went to a camp at Arizona State, the Sunkiss Kids Camp. And at the time, Henry was there. He wasn't doing the normal camp. He was coming in like in between sessions, working out, and it looked like a man child. And yeah, come to find yeah. out, it was Henry Cejudo. But it's like we're doing sessions, and the college guys are teaching us. He's like working out with the college guys, and so mm -hmm. it was like, God, dude. So did I, he have long was, hair back then? I can't th remember if it, it was the long hair or the buzz cut, but oh, it's okay, two okay. very distinct uh, periods. But I, I'm obviously always knew who he was, but that jumped out. And, uh, yeah, no, never met him, man. He was the nicest, like you said, nicest, coolest guy ever. And it's just, it was just such an honor to meet him and tell his story and, and get to know all his friends and family. And yeah, man, what a, what a crazy experience. Yeah. That's the thing. That's what I was saying before about how he's misunderstood because he's got this persona and the UFC and this, this cringe and all this stuff, but he's really like one of the most like nice, humble <laughs> Oh yeah. Sweet, sweet guys ever. And the whole family. Yeah. Like angel and everyone. That's why it, it must've been so cool. Like getting to really dive into that world for you. Yeah, it really was. And the second time went to, after the interview, because we did a interview in November and then an interview in December. I usually do the main, the main person like early on and later on to fill in any gaps. And he like after the second one though invited me back to his house for dinner. I mean it was it was super cool and uh, it's just been, you know it's been been great working with him. And I can't wait for the fight. Like that's the cool part about this. Like the Smiths was big because it's the Smiths, but there wasn't like something any event it tied to. It was just yeah great because it's John Smith and Pat Smith. But this like the fact that the fight's coming up this week, man, it's such a cool part of it. You know because like we're gonna see him back in action in just a couple of days. Yeah, it's really like uh, really relevant. Really, like I mean, Henry Cejudo is a he's a hot commodity right now. Uh, I'm super excited for that fight too. Uh, I've always been a I've always been a Henry Cejudo fan from the beginning, and uh, I, I've loved his career in the UFC. I think I think he's one of the greatest ever. And I, sometimes I I don't see him on those lists, and it always bums me out because I really the, he's two division champion. He's manhandled some of the the greatest of all time, uh, and the uh, well, you know, one of the one of the things that um, one of the things that also was kind of exciting for me about this this whole story, and we talked about this from the beginning. We've talked about this a million times, but how like that for the UFC fans, they don't understand how important, how tough, how crazy the Olympic championship in wrestling is. Like, <laughs> I, I think I, I was talking, I did an interview on my podcast with Kendall Cross and one of my like uh, MMA friends, he's like a UFC fan, but he doesn't really follow wrestling. He was like, what is the, is the Olympics like a big deal in wrestling? And it was a genuine question because like in boxing, no one really cares about the Olympics that much. I mean, mm -hmm. they do, but it's not like you'd rather be like heavyweight champion of the world than Olympic champion. 
And then in jujitsu, there's all these different world champions and all this stuff. And it's always like, it's, it's kind of different, but in wrestling, if you're a world champion or if you're an Olympic champion, you are the best guy in the world. Like Bulgaria sent their best guy. Uh, Russia sent their best guy. Iran sent their best guy. Cuba's there. Like there, there's no one that's just like, it's, it's not like possible that you just like the best guy just wasn't there unless he was right. injured or something like that. So I, I think it's really cool to show like Henry was this Olympic champion, which is one of the like, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing what he did. And then he goes on to be the, the UFC double champ, which is just so cool. And the fact that like, he had to go through so many obstacles, like even, you know, even like the, obviously everyone talks about losing the first period, but getting past Steven Abbas. I mean, it's just so many ups and downs. One of the things I was dying to ask you about is what's one of the scenes that didn't make it in, like one of the sound bites that didn't make it in that you like was one of your favorites. I have oh a, uh, I, I know it's a, it's tough to put you on the spot. There's, um, there's what's one. Yours? Yeah. Tell me, tell okay. me yours first. There's one that I can't believe didn't make it in. And it's where Terry's talking about his philosophy and he's like, my philosophy is don't waste a second of any day. And I was like, just looking through the transcripts and I'm like, God, that should have been in there. That's that should have made it in. Um, there's that one. And then, that trip where Henry goes to Chechnya and goes 0-2, that actually is like a massive story. Brent Metcalf shared it many times um, where they go to Dagestan, they get escorted to Chechnya and like armored cars, like AK-47s everywhere. They get driven into this arena in Chechnya. Basically, everyone loses. They get in a car and go back, and Henry was on that trip. So that was really never something we were going to explore, but just that could have been something I could see us, I could see us baking out. But that Terry line definitely sticks out to me. I mean, so many the the Terry lines in general were just so epic. Every single one of them was like, like you you could have just put everything he said in there and or done like another interview and got even more. I think a lot of people felt the same way. I saw some of that in the uh, the yeah. comments, like the like the you have one more and uh, <laughs> and you're either in or you're out. I mean, like it, you know this. I think also another thing about like I keep saying Henry's misunderstood. I think Terry Brands is a very misunderstood guy in the wrestling community. You know, I grew up and I was coached by Kemal Cross growing up as a kid, and so like. You know, it was always like, oh, Terry Brands. And, you know, a lot of people have this this image of him, just just everyone, like that he's just like this machine and he's like uh, this you know, monster and everything. And you, you really see this this interesting side of him. And he was like this paternal figure to Henry. And it was this tough love and he kicks him out of the room. But he says, I love that line when he says, you know, if Henry had chosen to leave, I still would have loved him just the same. I still would have cared for him and rooted him and supported him and it just you, you see this really uh this really great side of, of terry and it, it made me like a, a a terry fan honestly it was great yeah episode two we kind of like build him up as if it's the perception everyone has of him you know like with all the archival and like with with all like the stereotypes and then as we move through it we start to break down walls. And then my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is when Henry's dad dies and Terry's talking about how that's when he knew that Henry was ready to win. When he was, when Henry was saying, I should have done more to, you know, make peace with my dad. And, and, and Terry's like, that's when I knew he was ready, man, bro. Like I love just like you said, building up the stereotype of 
Terry and then kind of breaking it down and showing a different side to him. It was, uh, that was probably, I mean, you think about all the storylines like that, just so many angles to it. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Angel Cejudo story. Like, I think you said that one of your fans also said like, wow, that could be a whole separate podcast too. the Angel Cejudo story. And, and that was one thing that was really interesting to me that I didn't know. I mean, I guess like I always knew Angel was good, but like all the people saying like Angel was better than Henry, you know, that was, that was really fascinating story too. And we cut whole... so much of that out too. Like there were so many other people saying that, like, yeah, literally every person said that they're like at the beginning, Angel was better. Um, yeah, I mean, like that's a we. There's so many of those bits left on the floor. Sorry, go and ahead. the bit and, and the bit. No, the bit when he gets like emotional there and says, you know, uh, I I was kind of thinking about winding my career down at that point, but I went for Henry and he he teared up a little bit. What was it like when you were in that moment interviewing him? You must have been like, wow, this is this is that a special moment. That was a special, I'll never forget that interview. That interview, the feeling of excitement after that interview with Angel, I really cannot put into words. Like that was one of those breakthrough moments where I'd flown down to Arizona for the week and did like five or six interviews in a week. And Angel was like a Wednesday night. And my first interview with Henry was like Thursday morning or third. Yeah, Thursday morning. Took the week off from work, all of it. <clears throat> the angel interview, he comes over at like six o'clock that night, went two and a half, three hours. And yeah, at that moment when he starts crying, you're like, whoa, like anytime someone cries in an interview, you know, you're getting raw. But that one, I mean, angel, you know, everyone says he's, he's a little more reserved than Henry, you know, which I think is fair. But yeah, that moment I'm like, all right, now we're getting into it. And that was probably like 40 minutes into the interview. And it was just like one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Yeah, I mean, I, I crazy, can, right? I can imagine being there. It must have been must have been nuts. And I, I think that this, the whole, really, the whole series is a very emotional. It takes you on like a wild, like a roller coaster ride from mm -hmm. his childhood. You know, like a lot of people. That was something that I got too. Like a lot of people didn't know his background, like with the you know illegal immigrant parents and like growing up so poor without furniture that was one of the first things i had told you i think when we started doing yeah. this i was like we really have to tell his childhood story because i remember that from the book when i read his book it blew my mind like he said you know we didn't have furniture we had like a blanket on the ground and moved how many times 13 times 13, in like six crazy. months or something like that and you know having that background like a lot of people don't understand and so yeah to my original point, it, was a, it was a roller coaster ride with his dad and 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 moving as a teenager to the otc and it's this whole uh separate story and i think you know you you know you really dug out that story like of course when you when you're planning for a podcast or like a sorry to tell a story a, a documentary like you need to have an angle a thing a story the actual arc of the story and you really took the the Henry Cejudo thing and and kind of got the experiment out of it like the, yeah. this whole story of the the experiment went after Doc Bennett and and uh and interviewed Gary Abbott and all these guys and it was really cool because I think I, I'm sure even Henry really enjoyed listening to it because he gets to hear all these different perspectives on like a singular event like you have something happens with Henry and you have six different people who are all giving their opinion on it and some, some side mm -hmm. story. And, uh, it, it was like, uh, it was a really cool monumental moment in us wrestling history. Really. It really was. And 
the Henry Cejudo biography alone is good and it's it's amazing. I do love the the slight angle we put on it with the experiment and kind of tying all of that in and, and how unique it was because that's my brother in law was staying with us when we were when I I think like at the end of the writing like maybe writing episode six no editing episode one and he's like so hit me with this like what's unique about Henry you know because. Youngest Olympic champ, that is in itself unique. But then when you factor in that, dude, no one had really done this before. Moved to the OTC, skip college. Like it, and it's never been done since. That's the crazy thing. I mean, Pico did do it, but he didn't go on to win the Olympics, you know? And then Snyder did wrestle college. So it's just such a rare thing. Like no one had done it before or after. It's like that angle on it is just it's very unique. And there were so many quotes throughout. Like, it wasn't just like a lot of maybe people say something, but he did only said it and he walked the walk. Like, when he said things like, I don't care about beating these, like, he didn't care about, he was going to miss his state championship because he didn't care. Yeah. And he's like, I don't care about beating these college guys because I can beat them anyway. And he was, he was a high school guy beating like an NCH. I mean, I just can't even fathom how, like, a, how, like, an 18 year old could beat like a, a, a top college guy it's really crazy to me and he he walked the walk he did it and he won the olympics well the u.s open just happened this weekend and we're watching it and all the talk is how good these these u17 and u20 guys are and it's true they're unbelievable but the one or two high school kids that did enter the senior bracket like it was the fact that they placed everyone was going crazy about it i'm like remember henry winning this thing twice, twice? oh like <laughs> What are we talking about here? It's so crazy. And no one was doing it back then. Like now you hear about it a little bit more, but yeah, it's just like, man, he was so good. Crazy. I remember, oh, actually this is in the documentary too, the the Kendall stuff, right? So I want to, I want to, I want to second and back this story up. I was there. I was present at this moment. Uh, Kendall was coaching me at Harvard. I don't know. He was coaching at Harvard and he, he, he then like coached me in like a club there and he was coaching me out at Fargo um, the one year. It was like maybe my first year out there, my second year. So, and Henry and I are the same year. So like, this is, no one knew Henry. Henry was not like a big name. He was not a known quantity. He was nothing. And Kendall just like saw his first match. He had long hair at the time. That's what I was saying before. Kendall saw his first match, just ran him against some nobody. And Kendall just goes, that guy is good. Keep your eye on him. And he followed him throughout the whole tournament and he wound up winning it. And Kendall literally, we, we didn't have any idea who it was. It wasn't like he got some tip from someone about this guy. He literally just saw him, followed him. It was like Henry Cejudo. He like found him on the brackets and everything like that, followed him. And then, yeah, he wound up winning. And Kendall was like, I told you, I told you. Just from like seeing his first match, he really Crazy. called it. And then I remember him out at Fargo, like the one year he beat Mike Gray and Franklin Gomez. And he just like, he just looked like a monster. I remember like seeing him just wreck guys and just thinking like, man, I don't want to wrestle that guy. Because <laughs> I was like, I think I was like the weight below him or something like that. We've never actually seen each other. We've always been like around, but I'm like, man, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ever face that guy. <laughs> well, dude, you're that, that whole scene of Kendall at Fargo is totally from your tip. I would have no idea that he ever mentioned that. I mean, that was just such a cool thing that you remembered that. And it was so vivid because it was vivid for Kendall too. Like he immediately remembered it and think of all the tournaments he's been to and like the guys Dude. he's seen. And, and like the fact that he was not 
known. He just like, he really, he didn't, and Kendall didn't do this all the time. He really just selected Henry Suda. And then when Henry, like years later, you know, like Henry won the, the Olympics or whatever, I think Kendall like texted me, like, and was like, remember that time I saw this guy? <laughs> well, the part that I, we didn't put in that could have added a little bit more to it, but it, at certain point, you just have to stop, was that Henry didn't want to be friends with Kendall because there was association with Kendall and Ben Ashmore. And that ben was Ashmore, years later. So okay. that was, that was that was later because after Kendall left to uh, he was up in Massachusetts for like a few years. Then I went to Blair. Then he Kendall moved to Dallas, Texas, and was working with the Bishop Lynch guys and uh, was was coaching Ashmore and all that stuff. So that would have been like the okay. a, a year or two after this event or two two years after this event, probably. Got it. It's fascinating though. So like yeah, that Fargo scene's amazing. I mean, and then like. Another person said, what about when he got second at the 06 Junior Worlds? And that was the second time. And we didn't really go into that. So it's like there's there's so many tournaments that could have gone into further, too. There's only so many. You know, like one of the things that uh, I think is tough is that when you're telling a story, you know, you have so many things to choose from, right? And it's not just a forensic accounting of this happened and this happened and this happened. And that's like a bad – I mean, people do that and it's – a bad way of storytelling you know you have I, i've heard like documentaries like that before where it's just mm -hmm. like a listing of things that happened but you know you you have to at a certain point like take uh you know separate them out and take what's a good story what's gonna what's gonna drive the story along and what's what's an important point and what's gonna what's relevant and what what causes that that tension and everything like that because yeah i mean i'm sure god i'm sure how many medals and trophies does he have we could go through every tournament he's ever wrestled in but you, you choose like the the gallic match and, and you choose the, these matches with kudakov and all this stuff that wind up being very relevant and, and moving experiences for him and, and kind of inflection points in his career or or uh, or emotional moments like when he had I, I, like I love the whole part where he has this slump and he's just getting his yes. ass kicked in uh, in was that oh seven right oh seven yeah. he's just he just can't win a match he just can't find a victory and that's like the craziest thing ever because you're like it's Henry Cejudo but he just is he's losing every time yeah. he steps out there and so that like is a interesting little bit to to keep in you know yeah no that was a uh... Yeah, 07 Worlds, he goes 0-1-1. Then he goes on the slump, loses 5 of 6, and then goes into the Olympic trials right when Abbas comes back. So it's like all of these things converging that made for such a crazy Olympic trials in 08. What was your favorite episode, if you had to pick one? I think episode 3. It's just like... I like them all though. Like this one, I really like. There were no off episodes. Like everyone, I like. I love episode one because I just love, like I said, Henry's background story mm -hmm. and getting that that whole like the immigrant family and and talking about his mom selling food in the street. I, I you know, I like them all. Like episode episode six is just like so epic and and crazy, and the whole recap at the end is great. I mean, I don't know this one. I I felt like more so than the other. Uh, audio docs we've worked on this one just from start to finish yeah. there's like not a bad moment there's not a dull moment at all there's not a slow moment there's there's just nothing it just goes right through so uh it's just a, it's an epic it's an epic journey it's a, he's henry cejudo has been on epic journey his life has been a a wild ride and and uh it just makes a good story I love episode five. It's it's kind of late in there. And like sometimes like it's actually a quick episode, but that one is really snappy too. When he gets back from the worlds, 
they have that performance review. He goes on the slump, and then I just love the Abbott Center play. That workout they had when yeah, yeah. Know, they never wrestled again after that. It's like, God, I mean, because growing up for me, Abbas was huge. Like, Abbas what was, was it like interviewing him then? Like, because that must have been awesome. Abbas? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was unbelievable. It, it took a while to get it scheduled, but once it happened, it was just flowing. And we did another one right after that. It was just went amazing. And Abbas is such a cool cat. I mean, such a la- I mean, there's guys you interview where it's like, man, you're still in awe of them. And like, that guy's one of them where you're like, Everyone you talk to is like Stephen Abbas was the man. Stephen Abbas this, Stephen yeah. Abbas that. So even Henry and Angel, like Angel has a ton of love for for Stephen Abbas. I'm sh- I know Henry does too. Well, so yeah, well, that's what he said, right? He said Henry. I think Henry said it, or Angel said it. Like Henry wanted to wrestle like Abbas. I think yeah, I think Henry yeah. said it. And uh, and then DC said like he was the guy. DC was like yeah, he was like the best wrestler. DC said maybe he's the best wrestler he's ever seen. And like that's so many guys. Yeah, I remember seeing him wrestle when I was younger too. And he was like, I mean, he's a a legend. 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 KJ had a lot to say about Stephen Abbas, and yeah, that's that was the other thing about this story. Like as soon as we got it locked in, and it's like all right, this is happening. The interview with Henry's booked. You start to make the character list, and it's like. KJ, Terry, Stephen Abbas, DC, if we can get them, like Mako, if we can get them, like there's so many guys that like, or, you know, you're going to come and come in contact with, which made it so exciting. The one guy who I loved meeting and finding out about was Dave Hurtado. Oh my Al- God. What a, Colorado what a great guy. father. What a <laughs> guy. I know he's one of your favorites. Yeah, no, I just love those scenes. It was really heartwarming in, uh, in Colorado. I mean, he literally quit his job so he could like take care of Henry. Like that's one of the things that's really that I guess I didn't really know until we started going through the material, but that really was inspirational. You look at Henry Cejudo and all of the mentors and father figures that he had. Man, I just got chills. Like all of my, I'm thinking about this, but all the mentors and father figures you have on the one side, you could say like, it's amazing. He had this whole support group, like it takes a village, blah, blah, blah. Like he had Doc Bennett and all these guys helping him out with this whole like team. But on the other side, I look at that and I say, what was it about Henry Cejudo that inspired all of these people to drop everything they were doing yeah, and help him out? Like there's something special about him. Like you could look at it from two sides like that. Oh, he got so much help and all this stuff, but you could look at it like, what was it that was so special about Henry Cejudo that just inspired all of these adults to like stop what they were doing and be like, we need to put our full support behind this kid, a kid, you know, crazy. And and like Dave Hurtado, like I love the part where he says like he taught him how to drive and, uh, and you know, you have Terry and Doc Bennett and Frank Sions and like all of these guys that really like, took him under their wing. And uh, that was just really, really cool. It's it's amazing to see just how much went into it and how it really was like an experiment. Like it wasn't just the title of the doc or like just something. Like it was truly, everyone thought about it that way. Even like Rich Bender, you know, who at the time and, and still is, you know, executive director of USA Wrestling, all the stuff he has to worry about. And even him, he's like, Henry's like a son to a lot of us. So it's... It's interesting because when you're when you think of someone as a son, you maybe not as harsh to him as you need to be, and that's what was so great about the Terry interactions is that Terry would still drop the hammer if he needed to. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was it was really cool, and yeah, getting all of those 
like not just Henry's story, but then the whole like the OTC angle of like people talking about how broke they were out there. Some talking about that. And then also just like the OTC. Man, you haven't been out to the OTC yet, have no, you? No, not no, I've you, never been in the facility, which is crazy. You, ha you have to go there. Like you gotta go, man. Oh my this God. is the second doc we've done where the OTC plays a pivotal role in the Slay doc when he moves out to the OTCs when he Slay really jumps levels and uh, yeah. leads up to that epic us open but yeah i know i know i need to get in there like it's crazy it, it's like it's like in this series it's like a character in and of itself kind of because it's like this this organism this this the facilities there the the dorms there are amazing the cafeteria i remember going to there when i was like younger and the the cafeteria i remember at the at the end there was like a big tray of power bars so i was like you know, to me, I'm like, this is like, what must have been like for Henry to go there? For me, that was like a, yeah. I was like, wow, this is luxury. It's like really nice dining. And then uh, for Henry coming from, uh, coming from, you know, West Phoenix to the the OTC, it's, it's, it's all like amazing facilities. One time I was out there and I like broke my finger or something like that. And they had an x-ray facility on site. They just took me like, like people don't realize how fancy, how sophisticated the OTC is. They had like a doctor right there. Didn't even like, no, here, here we're going to x-ray at this whole thing. And they have teams of sports psychologists and uh, nutritionists and doctors and everything out there. And I mean, the Apollo Ono scene when Doc's yes. just sitting in a, in a, in a, in a sauna, sauna. with Apollo Ono and, uh, <laughs> Apollo, divine yeah, inter it's... divine intervention yeah dude that's crazy yeah that quotes that quotes insane the um it's funny when i was looking up like how to describe the otc i looked up a couple articles on the ufc performance institute and just used kind of some of the same verbiage they used and it seems like that but almost more epic because you have all of these sports living there you know it's yeah, you walk around. And there's like you know the women's volleyball team. These six foot something women walking around, and then you have the swimming swimmers out there, and and uh, and it's just it really is a a unique, a really cool place. And it's up at like it's up at elevation, so you're 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 getting elevation training as well. And then you have the incline, which is we we talked about a lot. The incline, it's mm -hmm. just unbelievable. Like I mean. There was always there's always these legends that like oh yeah Terry Terry jogs up it in the morning before his coffee or whatever <laughs> like and then you like if if you if you're not used to it like I've done it a few times and you get there I'm you're like me I'm like crawling by the end I'm obviously in good shape it was when I was in wrestling shape and everything like that and you can barely make it up to the top so uh, yeah it's it's cool having all these guys talk about it and the the, the fact that they did it like what a, a whole, every day for 20 days or, so, or 30 yeah. a month or something right december of 07 they did it like 24 25 days in a row which is it's crazy because so when i went to colorado springs to interview her tato had a crazy week of flights and i flew in supposed to get there the night before got there friday morning and got to the marriott in colorado springs and they're like oh your room's gone and i'm like what do you mean the room's gone well <clears throat> I I got there like 8 a.m. The checkout was 11, right? Because there was so much delay. So I only had the room for three hours. But they're like, well, so, yeah. So yeah, wait, so, so you were so wait, wait, wait. So, so you were supposed to get there like the night before, and there was like yeah. all this delay, and you got there like the next morning at eight, and yeah. you had it from eight to like 11. Basically. Bro, came in on a red eye. Drove from Denver to Colorado Springs. It was like the first snow of the year with all my equipment, all my shit. 
get there and the rental car actually the windshield wipers weren't working and i had to stop three times and like use a bottle of water to clean all the all the salt off but i get to get to the this marriott epic i didn't Bro. know this yeah yeah get to the <laughs> get to the marriott in colorado springs and then I have to deal with this lady. And then finally she's like, all right, I'll let you in the room. She's like, you only need it for a few hours. I'm like, literally two hours. That's it. <laughs> I get up there, set up everything. Her title the whole time is in the lobby. Cause I saw this guy and I walked in. I'm like, I bet that's him. But I was just like, I'm just going to get in there and get set up. Cause I hate setting up when someone's there. Cause it's just like, right, I feel right, like right. I have to talk to them and I, and you do, but then there's just so much other stuff going on. So got up there, got set up, did the interview with Dave. It went great. And like literally 20 minutes later, got in the car, drove to Denver, ended up spending the weekend with uh, my wife's um, cousin and her and her uh, her boyfriend who are great. But yeah, anyway, I we're going to go back and I want to do the incline. I really want to do the incline just to see what it's like. Dude, you got It's like a it's the incline is such a big part of like the wrestling lore. I mean, just because of the like how many guys have been out at the OTC and and got, done out there, done camps out there and everything like that. It is like a, a weird way, like a part of the the wrestling history that that thing you know so yeah, yeah. you gotta do it you gotta do it next time you're out there and go do a tour of the uh, facilities also definitely were you surprised like kind of now that we've done the story and dug into it that henry retired after 08 not knowing what we know talk about things that we cut that was one that we cut right the doc bennett said so doc bennett said that uh when Henry, he said basically when Henry made it to the finals, I think, right? Or something. Yeah, the like four that. hours in between the semis and the finals. He said that at that moment he knew that Henry was not going to continue if he won the Olympics. Um, I, uh, I'm never really surprised when anyone retires from wrestling because it's just such a you know what he what he went through what it takes to be that level of wrestling you need to be going a thousand miles an hour every day for years and um you know i'm never surprised that's why guys that have like the longevity and just keep doing it over and over again it's just like even more insane but uh yeah i mean uh yeah i don't know what about you were you, were you surprised or what like i mean what you know now? <clears throat> No, I don't think so because it seems like during that that journey to 08, there were a couple times where things were getting kind of dire for Henry. You know, you talk about the slump in 08 when he went to see Cale at Iowa State. And, you know, a lot of that could just be growing pains as well. But there were definitely some bumps in the road. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think if he wouldn't have won, he probably would have kept going. But... It's just like you said, that's a tough road to hoe, man, when you're going to come back four more years of that, and it's just a grind. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I guess it's not all that surprising, but you think about, it'd be like Gable Stevens, Gable Stevenson retiring, which he did do, but now he's back. Like, how many more could Henry have rattled off in wrestling, you know? Yeah, I mean, to find that motivation, again, you know, you look at, like, Burroughs that just keeps doing it every year and, and has done it for forever. And like, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, I think it, it can be hard to find that motivation. And yeah, there were a few times, obviously when he went to San Diego, uh, Henry, we're talking about Henry now. Um, yeah. And there were like a few, I think there were a few clues along the way for sure. And, and Doug said it pretty confidently too. It just, we, we, we didn't put that in cause it just didn't fit with the story a little bit. So, but yeah. that was an interesting, that was an interesting comment for sure that, that didn't make it into the, uh, yeah. the final version. 
And in the book, it, in Henry's book, he says like the day or two after he won, he was in the sauna and decided then he was going to retire. <clears throat> I was oh, never, okay. I don't remember that. Yeah. I was never able to confirm that through the interviews, but it was in the book. And so, yeah, I have no reason to think it's not true, but it's like, uh, it's interesting how, and none of this made it in, but after Henry won and then, so 08, he wins. I think he got like 25 grand, but by 2012, it had grown to like 250,000. And yeah, yeah. a lot of articles were saying it was like the Henry Cejudo rule where USA wrestling was worried of more athletes leaving wrestling and going to the UFC. So that they started uh, this fund. Yeah. So it's like, there was only so much we could put in the postscript, but like the impact Henry had, I think is far more is far bigger than, uh, than even we were able to hit on in the story. But he didn't go into the UFC. He retired and he did like nothing for a while. Like he didn't go directly into the UFC because it wasn't until after the like 2011. Yeah. 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 He yeah. Because yeah. after he boxed and then came back and then 2013 he went UFC. He boxed. He, yeah. He boxed. I didn't even know that. What, he, yeah. Because he did like a, a professional boxing or what? Like, what I don't do know do? if it was, I don't think it was professional. He, his goal initially was to become an Olympic gold medalist in boxing. And then he realized after living in the gym for like a year and a half, two years, that lightweight boxers, like just like lightweight wrestlers, it takes a lifetime to become an Olympic gold medalist. And so initially, like he did a lot of boxing though, came back to wrestling in 2011, 2012, does the trials, retires, then goes UFC. Yeah, I was actually out there. I was at the Olympic trials that year uh, watching because my boy Matt Valenti was wrestling them. And so I went out to watch and, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember watching that match too. Nick Simmons beat him in the semifinals, I believe yeah. it was, right? And yeah. And he took his shoes off and he threw them into the... I, I still have that, that, that image of, of him doing that. Um, it's crazy but, yeah, how different wrestling has, has become. Because like, oh wait, the trials were with judo, like kind of like partially attended. And then now it's like, this the attendance for the Olympic trials is so big. And like, even in 2012, when it was at Carver Hawkeye, I feel like, wrestling had just jumped a little bit of a level in terms of popularity and attendance, partially because the rules, like those rules were horrendous back then. Oh my God. It's so weird. Like as we go through as like, as you're going through these stories, sometimes it's weird because the rules change and you're like this year there was like clinch. And then there's the, there was the ball grab. And then there's like the, um, there's the, uh, even just like every year, it was like a little confusing to me on like, if you win the US Open, are you, do you get the buy to the finals? And then there's some years you don't. And yeah, uh, it changed and, and every so, yeah, year. There's, there's so much change. Yeah, it, it can be kind of hard to follow sometimes. But uh, but yeah, like back to your, your point, like you said, that, you know, the rule change, but also I think it's it's just great. Like social media has been great for a lot of these these athletes and flow wrestling made a lot of stars out of, out of people. And, mm -hmm. you know, they have these big social media followings now they have sponsorships and uh, and yeah, but back in the day when these guys, Henry, Bryce Hossman, Kyle Sermonara, all, the, all these guys out there, they were like, they were so broke. You know, you might win a tournament. I think there's prize money for some of these tournaments. Sunkissed and US Open, there's prize money. But, you know, you're going to get like, I don't know, a few hundred, maybe a thousand bucks right. uh, once in a while. And these guys are really supporting themselves. So it's, uh, it's changed a lot for sure. The whole like landscape of, of wrestling. So much. I love that line from Serm where he talks about how they were flat broke, just living like month to month. And if you got any money at all, you were grateful for it. But that's just like, that's how it was back then. Yeah. Yeah. And so Serm was, 
So Serm's like a good friend of mine too. That, that, like, I feel like every story we've done, I have these weird like random connections with it. When we Dude. did the Slay story, it was all the all the pen guys. Um, you and, totally you do. Know. That was another one where probably would have interviewed him either way, but you're like, dude, this guy is amazing. And like, he has a really good story and just well-spoken. And turns out he was a key player in those like episodes three, four, especially. And yeah, man, he's, he's awesome. I'd love to have him on the show just, just as a standalone guest. Yeah. You got to have him on sometime. He's really good. I've, I've done a uh, podcast with him before. He's really, he's, he's just a, he's a, he's a fun guy. He's just a, a, a cool guy. He's really well-spoken, has a lot of, has a lot of good stories, been around, around wrestling for a long time and, and yeah. seen, seen a lot of stuff. So, yeah. What was it like for you to see the story on the script and paper for months and then to hear it for the first time? So, well, just for the, for the listeners, by the way, we did this one like a little differently too. Like we went through, I, I actually like went through the, the script of like, and I got to see your process of like actually writing the script and how, how you're putting it together and everything like that. And so that was really fascinating for me. And I, I, I loved it. It was much, uh, it was much better way to work, I think, than just working with the audio at the end and uh, actually you know, getting the chance to, to get in there and rewrite. It was easier to, to edit and, and change things around. Uh, I will say like, yeah, we, we worked through so much of the stuff, like the, the big kinks during the script editing process. And so that was, uh, that was it, to me, it's like a little bit easier because you can sit and you can pause, you can sit and watch the, look at the page and see where it goes. Whereas audio, you're like listening to it and you got to back up and go forward and you get lost sometimes. And so we, uh, we worked through i rewrote a lot of the uh the narration and stuff like that and then um yeah so okay so to answer your question when we got around to the uh to the actual when you actually cut it together and we we finally got it on the uh all recorded i think it was like amazing like they were like i was like i was like so pumped i was like waiting for it and like it, it was like it like really hit me a lot of those uh a lot of those like first time like listening to a scene i would like message you i was like man i read this before but hearing it is like so much more powerful because yeah like that's one of the great things about podcasts in general that you can't get on on the page um is that you capture emotion in a way that just doesn't come out on the page and that's why i think podcasting in general like took off so much and it's such a great medium because when someone's telling a story when you're talking to someone and you hear their voice and their inflection and where they pause and what they say and if they get choked up and 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 how excited they are or whatever it comes off so much better than like you know back in the day they used to print in magazines like a printed interview of someone mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's just <clears throat> so much different and so yeah like getting to getting to hear some of those stories it was like i was hearing them for the first time even though i knew them i knew the whole thing when the, like i finally got around to hearing some of the uh, the audio clips and I, I listened to all the interviews anyway before so i had kind of heard them, but like hearing it all together with the music and the music really like helped it out. And it Man. kind of like gives you emotional clues. So it was, it was really awesome. They were like, a, in terms of the, the like audio editing this time around, we didn't do like nearly as much as before because we had fixed a lot of the stuff in the, uh, in the script. Stage. Dude, that was, but, yeah. that was absolutely clutch because it's infinitely easier to copy and paste a bit and move it to page four than it is to grab a piece of audio and then move all the songs, move everything. Like it's just, 
it's much harder to do. <clears throat> well, it's it's easier for you, and it's also easier for me to like look at it and see. Yeah. Okay, this paragraph should go before this and this. But when you when you're listening, it, it's harder to like even theoretically or hypothetically move things around. Um, I, I want to get. No. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking like the one, there was one thing, there was one big thing that we had to work through in the audio editing. I was just going to say what was that? that. Episode four. <laughs> yeah. Episode four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the Kendall part at the OTC. Yes, bro. And that was hard. That was probably the hardest thing to, to easily the hardest part of the story to fit it in. And it wasn't, it was just hard because it was like, we didn't want to disrupt the story. Like it's Henry's story and it's the whole thing. And you don't want to go on like a side tangent, but at the same time, it was like a cool little side story, you know? Well, and we left it till the end. We left it till after the script writing process to do, which kind of, it reminded me of how it used to be when we would change things. Like it took mm -hmm. a lot longer. And this was one where we had like a good page and a half, two pages of bits on this, Kendall and being at the OTC in 07 with Terry and that whole. Which is a pretty crazy story. Let's just, by the way, I, well, I guess if anyone listened to this should have already listened to that, but it's crazy. Kendall makes a comeback in uh, what year was it? Oh, oh, six. Oh, six and moves out to the OTC and they had been like bitter rivals back in 96. And I mean, throughout their whole careers and Kendall's living at the OTC and Terry's the coach. Like that's like, it, it was almost like, it like didn't fit in great to the story, but we were like, come on, you can't, you, you gotta deep. include that story. It's too juicy. <laughs> well, and it's like, I've heard other, like other interviews of like directors before. And they're like, you, sometimes you can't believe what falls in your lap from like a timeline perspective. This is one of those things where you're just like, you're reading about it. You're like, it can't be real that Terry's biggest nemesis moved to the OTC and was workout partners with Angel, which is really Angel and Kendo were the same weight, and they wrestled at the day. Angel before. beat him. Angel beat him, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So it's uh yeah, and then the fact that Kendall tie also ties into episode one, so it's not like we're just using yeah. using him for these one off things. It was uh, that was one of the things that was just amazing to to see all that come in. But yeah, episode four. So I I went back and looked at them, like episodes one through three. By the time we were ready to publish it, it was like version four. And episode four was like version seven. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took for, yeah, it's just, but I'm really happy how it came out. But that, that scene was, uh, was a really, was a really tough one. That was like one of the things I was dying to ask you, what was the toughest part? You know, that, that was probably the, like, that was the toughest part, but you nailed it. Actually, you did it in like, not the way I would have done it when we were, we, we spent like an hour on the phone talking through it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, like I wouldn't have not the way I would have done it, but then you did it right. Like, you, you know, it was like, it was like, yeah. Oh, that's not how I would have done it, but it's like better. So, uh, it was really, uh, it was really great. Kind of like tying in there and DC coming in there with the, DC calling Henry a snitch. A too. snitch. <laughs> that, that whole DC interview was just gold. And it's one of those things where the interview I think lasted maybe like 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And I'm releasing it today as well. The full thing, but like the amount of stuff we used from that was was really good. I mean, compared to like a lot of people, we'll do two hours and maybe use five minutes. He was in a lot of it.
Yeah. Well, talk about what that was like. Cause I mean, that was like, a, it was hard. It, you know, you had to work for a long time to schedule. I mean, DC is a big deal. DC is the most famous person in the whole documentary, really. Like if yeah. you look just based on like Instagram followers or whatever, like DC is like a big, big deal. And like, that's a, that's like a, a dream come true for you. I mean, it must be to oh, sit yeah. down and, and interview. you flew out to uh what San Jose, right? That was a horrendous day of travel. Yeah. Got up. So to your point, had his number, got through to him and he basically put me in touch with his assistant and, you know, a couple months worth of scheduling. Finally, we get it scheduled and it's like, hey, if you're going to be in San Jose during this date, I'll be there. Come out. We'll make it happen. But it was like a week's notice. Book a flight. And my flight was I left Chicago at like 5 a.m. Flew to Oakland. Didn't realize how far Oakland was to Gilroy. It's like another two hours. <laughs> I thought it was like right next to San Jose. Uber down to Gilroy, two hours, Bay Area traffic, post up at a Starbucks and kind of just, just, you know, burn a few hours, get to his studio where he records all his shows and his assistant, amazing. She helped me set up. We set up and basically he gets there at 3.30, record through four, and then he's out of there. I tear down and then fly back that night. It's like I got back to Chicago like 1 a.m. Oh, bro. But it was like, to to your point, though, like for a half an hour interview, you squeezed a lot of juice out of that. You you really like I remember reading the transcript or or I think you sent me a transcript or just listening to it. I can't remember. But I remember being like, wow, you really just got right to the point. I mean, you did that. You had to do it. You only had a half an hour with them. Yeah. Uh, But you you got a lot of really good stuff out of it. And uh, that was really cool, man. I hope. I hope we get to do tell DC a story one day. I hope we can do a podcast 100%. on him. That would be yeah. unreal. You gotta you gotta get the wheels in motion for that one. DC or Kale, if you're listening, both of those people would be. Uh, I mean, DC is like his story is so crazy because, you know, unlike Henry, the end of DC's Olympic run is one of the lowest points of his life. He makes weight, but is in a rush to the hospital. Organ failure doesn't compete at the 08 games. So like, that's just. I mean, and Henry had a horrendous weight cut. So Henry's cut was on Tuesday. He wrestled on, I'm sorry, Henry's weight cut was on Monday. He wrestled on Tuesday. DC's cut was on Tuesday. He wrestled on Wednesday. So the next day, DC went through a cut, made weight, went to the hospital. And then there they, you know, someone there made the decision that he wasn't medically fit to compete. So didn't compete at the Olympics. Can you imagine that? The whole, you make the team, the buildup, the whole thing. Like, I, I would be like, I, I don't know. Like I would be like suicidal. Like oh, that easily. Would, like, like to not be able to compete at the Olympics. I mean, oh my, what, what must have his, what must his mindset have been? How depressing is that? Oh my well, he God. said after that, I read an article, like this is like years ago that he, after that, he basically spent a year just like playing video games and like kind of like in a, in a rut and was kind of like ostracized from wrestling because a lot of the wrestling fans or angry at him for missing weight. And yeah. so he like he was kind of feeling left out. And then, you know, I mean, that's probably an understatement, but and then gets into MMA and then changes his whole life. Like a second life. A lot of these guys he, have like a totally lives. second life. Not just that, but he's now like the commentator. He's like the he's one of the faces of the UFC right now. I mean, it's not even just like not just his career, but like his whole persona and and everything. And D- DC is is one of my favorites i'm like such a huge fan of dc i've known him since i was a kid also and like i just 
he's such a personable guy. The fact that like he has haters, I like I, it blows my mind. Can't understand anyone. I, I I have no idea how you could Dude, hate on DC. DC is about to be the Michael Strahan of wrestling, like just or MMA, like just a media personality on every show. Like, and I've yep. heard him say like he wants to be on like. Like on to not to today's show, but basically like a media personality, and sure enough, he is, man. I mean, and you look at a guy who has a busy schedule, dude. He is literally on the road for basically all these UFC events, and he they basically get there like Wednesday morning. And is he still coaching Gilroy too? Like he's still, still like, doing dude. It? He was at the U seventeen nationals this weekend. What? Yeah. <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. Like, how can you not like, like he's the most humble guy. He's, he's coaching a high school team. Like he's, he's given back yeah. to the youth. He like, he does not have to do that at all. And wow. Yeah. With the busy schedule that he has and everything. Like what a, what a guy. Yeah. That's so cool that you got to, you got to interview him. I'm, a lot of these I'm guys. Re- I'm really happy that, that, that worked out in the end. And you you think about it now we're like initially when he said all right let's do it you have a week and i'm like all right it's expensive it's gonna be a i'm gonna be super tired but now you look back on it and you're like i can't imagine this documentary without dc dude yeah like the opening that was that was totally unplanned until the very end like how we opened episode one yeah like that, and that yeah. was just from that dc interview it's like that was that was such a critical piece of it it's just crazy actually thinking about it. Like him and Henry and Ben Astrin were all on the same Olympic team, right? Like that's Mako. wild. Yeah. Mako too. Yeah. I mean, like those are some like legendary names right there. And and I love sometimes, you know, DC like interviews Henry too for like they do promos and stuff like that. And they interview and I love like, they're just so you, their chemistry of those two together. They're like, it's like big brother, little brother. They're like ribbing each other and just like messing around. And, uh, Oh yeah. And then, and then same with, yeah. Aspirin and DC do some stuff together now. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, it, what a, what a cool, what a cool, you could almost do like a docuseries on just like the 2008, I'd be like a shorter one, but like just the 2008 team and, and those guys. I mean, Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, then you it's had pretty special. Yeah. You had Doug Schwab on, who's now the head coach at UNI. He's an Iowa legend. And then Mike Zadek was a late. We didn't qualify. I like guess like 61 kilos. Didn't qualify the weight that year. And then Mike Zadek gets the call like an like a, a couple of days before. Flies into Beijing and, and competes. So it's like. Okay, I didn't know that. Wait, yeah. A couple of days before. I think so. Like, I don't know. It was like a week or a couple of days. But we definitely didn't qualify the weight something happened and they fly him in and he's there and uh you know competes and i mean that's another guy he wrestled 149 in college and wrestles 132 and a half at the olympics how in the hell Oof. dude that's brutal i mean all these guys like the weight cut for the olympics it's always it's always just like Epic. insane but but the thing is like so henry was wrestling 55 kilos this is actually something i thought about i wanted to ask you about this before like so he has this like 155 or 55 kilos is 121 pounds, right? So like, yep. uh, you know, now he's cutting to one, uh, one, 135. Well, 135. Yeah, 135. That must have been just like such a brutal weight cut. But then you think about it, okay, he had this hard weight cut at the Olympics, but he also just like, he was wrestling in tournaments like every week during sometimes. So he's doing this weight cut like over and over and over again. And Henry's a big guy. Like he's, uh, I mean, when he's younger, he maybe he was like, a smaller frame or whatever but like cutting down to 121 like time after time like that that must have been brutal for him i'll never forget the moment during the research where i realized june of 06 
Henry graduates from high school. Next day, goes to the World Team Trials, loses to Henson. When I realized that the next three weeks, he competed in the Pan Ams in Cuba, Junior World Team Trials in Colorado, this brutal tournament in Chechnya. So he made weight four weeks in a row in three different time zones. Scratch weight. It's like... That's brutal, That's man. hard to understand. I mean, that is... That's brutal. That is so crazy. And, I mean, you think back to his early UFC days... He missed weight for his UFC debut at 125. Yeah, yeah. He, was he missed weight to... twice, didn't he? Or... I think so, yeah. Yeah. And like, just think about, it just goes to show you, man, anyone has these moments where you think life cannot get any worse. And look at him now. He's fighting to be one of the best ever in UFC history. In his first fight, he didn't make weight. He said uh, in an interview, he almost didn't even show up. Like, he almost just ran away. Again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember like at the time Dana White being like, he's got to move up a weight or we're like cutting him or some, some, something like that. Like where it was like, people were like really disappointed and everything like that. And then, yeah, he goes on, he lost to Demetrius Johnson, then comes back, beats him and the rest is history, man. It's, what a that, story. That fight, that second fight is, I need to rewatch that before this weekend because that yeah. was a huge Huge turning point. I mean, there's so many moments like the Marlon Marias where he's getting beat in the first round and comes back. Yeah, but then he just he he, he like he just took it to Marlon. Obliterated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The um the interesting thing about this Aljo fight is that I feel like they don't want to hate each other. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe not, but like, you know, Aljo is a wrestler, right? And so Aljo probably grew up watching Henry, you know, a little bit or for knowing sure. Yeah, him. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, and, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know, but yeah, Henry, Henry's been out for what? Three years now? Three years. Yeah. Three years. Do you think if Henry but, wins, he fights again? Yeah. I do too. I do too. I think so. I don't think this is like, he's not just coming back for one and, and then ducking. I think, I think it was interesting. A lot of people when, when he retired were like saying, oh, uh, he, he's not really retiring. And, and I think he wasn't like I, I knew he was going to come back eventually but i think he just probably needed a break you know like he said that that's what he said publicly like he was like man i've been doing this since i was like a kid like nonstop, and and been at the top for a while and like you know i i, I just want to take some time and and Dude, his, kinda do do me you know his four fights he he beat like mighty mouse tj dillashaw dominic cruz marlon marias yeah yeah it's like what those are st- some of the four four of the biggest names during that era and maybe all time in that lightweight and that in that those are the guys he knocked off so yeah i yeah. can't wait for the fight are you how are you watching it this saturday oh i'll uh, let's see i don't know i haven't even thought about it yet but I'll, i will for sure be watching it dude i'm so excited for this for this fight this week i would be anyway but obviously we have a lot invested into this story. a lot a lot invested <laughs> yeah yeah um and uh yeah i guess like going back to the the first thing i think you asked me but like what have you heard what have you what has your been what has your impression been of the the feedback that has come back you know like i i just from the outside but you're the one getting all the messages and all all this yeah the, the stuff and and the people involved that's always cool too the the people actually involved in this what kind of uh feedback have you got from them yeah so great point a first First thing is a huge thank you to all the listeners because the the people who normally listen to wrestling changed my life. They come out in droves for these documentaries and and I really know that they're sending it to other people because the feedback's been amazing. I mean, it's just so humbling to see how much the wrestling world appreciates this and 
you know, as you know, it's a lot of work and a lot goes into it, but it's way worth it in the end. So that's, that's been one just over the top feedback. Um, and then the second thing is anytime we do one of these, I'm most nervous, anxious, curious to see what the main subject thinks. And I'll never forget how nervous I was for Tony Davis. <laughs> Bro, that was yeah, one yeah, where yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just really hoping he would like it. And same thing with this though. Like spoke to Henry and he's like, man, to be honest, when Chael introduced us, I didn't know. Maybe you told me this. He's like, I didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Or uh, yeah, yeah. No, I told you that because I, okay, I messaged Henry yeah. and then he yeah. messaged me back. He was like, he's like, man, Chael just said like you gotta talk to this Ryan guy. And I had no idea like what this was. But I think like all of your I think all of your subjects of your documentaries have no idea. They think that you're gonna kind of like come in and do a few interviews and whatever and like do maybe <laughs> some editing. But like I don't think they have an idea that you're gonna really track down like everyone they've ever known and get their 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 <laughs> aunt's story and their their cousin and their blah blah, blah and all this stuff yeah and so uh yeah like i think they're all kind of impressed like that but anyway yeah go back yeah no it's a uh, but he yeah so i couldn't remember how how i found that out but yeah it's just it's interesting to think about that right because we probably don't do a good enough job explaining it but at the same time it's like all right we're gonna do this audio documentary on you what's an audio documentary like it's you know what is this so uh yeah it's it was cool to hear his feedback and Henry loved it. Angel loved it. The family loved it, which that's when you're really like, all right, we can, we can rest easy now, you know, everything. Cause they're the ones who know about it. Like think about how weird it would be for some random dude across the country who doesn't know you to be tasked with telling the story. Right. In this case, it was both. And of like us. pretty, pretty vulnerable moments of your life too. Super like, vulnerable. I mean, yeah. You know, really. And that's what was good about Henry too. In the interview is that he was very vulnerable. Like he didn't hold anything back. No. I mean, he just let it all out and he's that's kind of the person he is in general he's just a very he's not afraid to be vulnerable and talk about his weak moments and everything like that but yeah it's like and we've talked about this before i think last time we did one of these recaps too but like i mean i think it for someone to have their like life story told and have all the like to hear like what people around you are saying like must be a crazy experiment must be crazy experience to hear all of these other people talking about you and going through these moments and saying nice things and, and sometimes saying difficult things, but uh, you know, it's gotta be cool. Right. Telling the story. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a, I know I often think about that. I'm like, I wonder like who, like you ever think about like, all right, if they're going to do one, you know, on you or me, it's like, all right, who would they interview or like, what would they say? And you're you're like, God, (laughs) nerve wracking. So yeah, that's why I, you know, when when you when you put it like that, it's like you just got to tip your hat to Angel and his and Henry and his whole family for just being you know so open to all this stuff. It's just crazy yeah, yeah. to me, and yeah, what a what an honor, man! It's really a cool thing, and definitely one of the uh, you know landmark milestones of the podcast and 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 our you know our storytelling journey, and it's just it's been amazing. I can't wait yeah. for the fight, and uh, yeah. One thing, and how did it? performance wise like numbers and all that stuff like it did uh did pretty well made it up on the apple podcast yeah it's like talk about that we're still on there yeah so numbers wise best best we've ever done from a series and again just a testament to the listeners and the wrestling community just went crazy for this and whether it was twitter instagram people were sharing it and i think people just really appreciated the story and so numbers wise was the best we've ever done and the one thing i always look to track is like you said, Apple podcast charts, they have a sports category. They put the top 200 sports podcasts on there. 
And out of like, you know, a couple hundred thousand, as of last Tuesday, we've been on there, I think as high as like high 80s, and now it's like 130. But even still, man, to be up there, and like you look at like who's right behind or right I before, mean, yeah. it's like, it's like Colin Cowherd, it's like Jim Rome, it's crazy, bro. I mean, and not you- just that, but there's so many like famous professional athletes that have their own podcast and, and everything like that. You're going to with like NBA stars and everything like that. And you're, so you're there among them. Like, that's crazy. It also makes you realize when you go in there, every single time I've ever checked the number one sports podcast, every single time is like part of my take. Like they're number one or two every single time. And they have been, because the last time we were on the charts was for the Smiths. They were number one. Then it's like, dude, the numbers they must get are crazy. But then when you look at this little, yeah, this little wrestling story that puts us on there, it's, it's a, it's an honor, man. It's so cool. Well, it's just a testament to what you've done and your show. I mean, like that, like I always, when I'm talking about your podcast, it's always just so uh, amazing. You do two episodes like every week, like, like clockwork, you're interviewing the the best guys. I mean, everyone, like, uh, you know, like you have talked to everyone in the wrestling community, uh, and it's just amazing the amount of people and the the quality of the guests that you've had. And then these these documentary podcasts on top of just your your guests are uh, are are really cool, and you've just built like a really good podcast for sure. Thank you, brother. I look back to how crazy it is we even got in contact. Had you on the show, and then I remember running. Yeah. I sent you the Smiths, and next thing you know, we're like, bro, years later, and. The influence you've had on these documentaries is truly unspeakable. And I really can't thank you enough for all your help, man, because dude, you were just as committed in there as I am, bro. And it's like, it's, it's, I feel like you're like, man, when's the next episode coming? Let's go. Let's go. So it's dude, good to have I, you. It was like the, it was like the bright spot of my day. Sometimes like I was like waiting for the, the revisions to come through and I'd be like, I can't wait. Like, or like so many times I'd send you voice messages and you'd be like, there's like music in the background. I'm like, yeah, I'm sitting in an Irish pub at like 10 PM at night, like <laughs> having a beer and like reading through the latest revision or whatever. <laughs> for the folks listening, every Literally like one out of every two voice message that Raleigh, because Raleigh and I basically <laughs> only communicate through voice message and uh, it's, it's through a number of apps, but every, like every other one, it was be like Led Zeppelin in the background or like this really like festive scene because where are you? You're in Brazil right now. Argentina. Uh, I'm, I'm in Argentina right now, but, uh, and the Pan Ams are, are coming up actually like I was just talking to Buxton. He arrives today. I'm, I'm going to catch up with the uh, with Jeff Buxton down here and, and Burroughs is in town. I don't know who else is in town. I got to figure Bro, it out. Bro, Yanni, but, uh, Gilman, all all the yeah, good yeah, guys yeah. are going. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be awesome. Um, I also you were up tr- with them in, in you- Istanbul for the, uh, the tournament last year too. But yeah, during this podcast, during the the like the last few stages of this podcast, I've been in like eight different countries. Man, I started in. I was in Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua with our boy, Artishir. Shout out to Artishir. Thanks for connecting us, man. That was fun. Love that guy. That <laughs> guy. Unbelievable. We love Artishir. Artishir, um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's like the one point, it never even crossed my mind just how crazy the places you you go. But like, I think it was episode six. Because episode six came down to the wire. Really came down to the wire. I want to talk about that a little bit before we, before we hop off. But... You were like, yeah, bro, I'm at, I think you were at like a waterfall or like at the connection of like, uh, what was I that? was at, I was at Iguazu. So like, I was just there. I was in uh like, it's the, Iguazu is like, 
on the border of three countries on the border of Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay. And it's like Niagara Falls. It's like, it's a natural wonder of the world, I, be, I believe. It's a really okay. nice, it's like Niagara, probably actually, I, I, I would say it's nicer than Niagara Falls, bigger than. You're like, I'll be there maybe. today. So I may not have service. And I looked it up. I'm like, what the hell? Bro, <laughs> where is this? Yeah, it's that was like... just that, that last day. I was like, oh, actually, I don't have really good service because it was like kind of a, uh, it was a little rural there, and I just didn't have great connection to to do it that day. But that was it, though. I mean, that was the only moment where there was any uh, you know, any technical issue because I mean, you're always on the road, though. For folks who know, uh, I can't. I have to. I'll post the episode you were on the podcast in the show notes. But you know, you're a world traveler, living all over, and it was cool to see you moving. You know, understanding what bar you were at just by the background of the voice messages as you move through uh, Central and South America. It's cool. No, we do get to talk about once in a while, like, cause I, I love like with traveling and, and like the history of these places. And I, and I'm really into that. And I know you're also like a, a history nut too. So, uh, we, we have some good conversations sometimes. And you have uh, some yeah, great, I love exploring the world. you have great podcasts, um, on the situation in Iraq, the situation in Ukraine. And, uh, I don't know if you remember those guests off the top of your head, but what, what are some of a few of those episodes on your show? Just my most recent ones. I had, I had a girl like, man, I love doing like podcasting is so cool, man. People just, you get to talk to cool people and inspire you. I had this girl, Madison, she's from Canada. She's as a solo female traveler. It's been like all over. She's been to Sudan, which is currently in conflict. She went to Afghanistan. Uh, she's been to North Korea. And then my other friend, Ina, who's Ukrainian. Uh, I went and visit, well, I went to Ukraine during the war and I, I we met up there. Um, but she's also, she's been to North Korea and, and Iran and all that stuff. And so, yeah, like I, man, for me, like travel is a big part of my life. And when I get to talk to people like that, that really inspire me, I'm like, man, it's like people think I'm like adventurous and I'm like, man, there's so many other people doing way cooler stuff. There's a, you know, a, a, a woman from Canada who goes to Afghanistan, like what? Crazy. It's the Divergent Path podcast. Check it out, folks. There's some incredible stories on there. And um, the last thing I want to ask you, though, is were you ever concerned we weren't going to finish on time? No, I know you you're a, you're a workhorse. You, you always get it done. Um, I but it is funny because we started so early on this one. And it still came down to the wire. Still um, came down. To, so, yeah. So documentary <laughs> went live Sunday night. By Friday, Friday morning, we had locked up episode five and I was, and you're like, yo, when is episode six coming? And I was a, a little bit, I'm like, we're a good 12 hours away from having anything listenable because when the episode starts, go through the script and there's like probably 150 to 200 bits, have to go and make all the cuts. And then I put all the cuts in like a folder so that they're just there. I can drop in. And on Saturday morning, a day before it went live, I woke up, had three minutes cut. So I got up at six and then by two had everything done and then scored it. That took another two hours and finally had something to you around like 6 PM. And then we still had a good number of revisions to make on episode six, nothing crazy, but a few, No, it was, it was all like minor, minor yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting. Like to your, to your point at the beginning, they were talking about this fight being in like March, <laughs> Or yeah. Like, oh my God. April. Well, it wouldn't have. It, it would have been. been would have been possible. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it just it's just funny how when we worked on the Smiths, it was like, it was like 
so different. We did like everything in like one week, right? It was the whole the whole process. It seemed yeah. So the Smiths, I look back, we cut seven episodes in January, but the revisions were so much more because you hadn't seen any of the story in the script yet. Yeah, I came in really late on that one. Yeah. Um, because it was just like it was just kind of a fluke. Uh, we talked about it sorry. was a fluke. Yeah, yeah total yeah. fluke, <laughs> crazy. And now, uh, yeah, man, like, like I, I kind of said when we first got this book last year, I was like, we had worked together so many times that I knew this one would be like just the best work we've done. And I think all the listeners, you know, have said that that they really enjoyed it. So I can't thank you enough, man. I can't wait for the next one. I, uh, I have a few weeks where I got to catch my catch up on some sleep here, but. We'll be back at it in no time. And I also no, want to explore too, some too, video yeah. docs. Yeah, me, no, me too. To both of those things. Like, uh, I, I wish if we could do one of these, like every, every freaking month or two, I would, I would be, I think you would go insane, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like them the more, the better. These are, it's, it's a lot of fun working on them and yeah, video would be great. A new, a new medium, a new, a new skill set, a new everything like uh has a whole new layer of uh complexity to it and would be really cool i think the fans would like it too i'm sure uh yeah those listening would 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 be down for that as well and that's kind of the natural evolution so it would be cool to uh cool to do those down the line too i think it'd be interesting though like the structure of the story i don't know how much that would change with the video because i really feel like a lot of the video would just be mapping the audio and then and that would be a part to to explore but Obviously, the B-roll on top of it and all that, there's a lot that goes into it. But the overlying structure for a story, I wonder how different it'd be. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, you think about it, right? Like, like during the parts when you're narrating in the audio doc, you're just narrating. But if it's a video doc, if you're going to narrate something, there's B-roll on, yeah. there's going to be B-roll behind it. And then uh, you don't have to introduce everyone every time. Like, that's one of the things we, we've always, we figured <laughs> out. You, I think you, you really got good at that during this, is that like, every, almost every time someone speaks, you got to say, here's Henry, here's Angel, here's Terry. Because like, you know, there's certain like Terry Brands' voice is very unique or whatever, but still like when you're listening to it, you want to have some kind of like idea of who it is. Otherwise you're just like, cause I remember that was one of my things when I first listened to the Smith thing, when you first sent it to me, I was like, I don't know who's talking. Cause like, I, I, I didn't know like some of these people were, it was like childhood friends or whatever. I'm like, who is this person that says that? I have no idea. And so, yeah. you, you know, you gotta, you gotta get that. And so, yeah, with, with, with video, uh, in a documentary, you just say it at the bottom, just written across the bottom. So much you, easier. You just get to know the person's face after a while. Uh, so yeah, there's all obviously different challenges and different benefits. Like, I mean, like being able to show some of the big moves that Henry's hit in the matches, uh, like would have been cool. You know, that would have been awesome to be able to like have his Olympic final match kind of in the documentary. You know? Yeah, so, absolutely. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely well, different media. We'll see, man. What's next? I uh, I'm excited to. There's also the Iranian documentary. It's already been filmed that I want to get get working on. But yeah, man, there'll be a there'll be a lot of good. Are you go, are you going back to Nicaragua or what? I don't. I shouldn't need to. Uh, I don't know if I want to go back, dude. After that last. <laughs> time. <laughs> did you talk? Did we? Did you tell that story on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, a, we told on the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my brother and I did a standalone episode too, just because it was so crazy and. Uh, but I was also like a little paranoid that maybe the government was like still listening to me. So I didn't go into all the detail. And when the, uh, when this Iranian doc comes out, I will, we'll have to, 
We'll have to rehash that because that was crazy. Nicar- you want to talk about the interesting history of a country, Nicaragua? Oof, there's a whole there's a, <laughs> of all the of all the Central American countries, that one has a crazy story and continues to have a crazy story to this day. But we don't need to get into that now. I think it's gotten worse since we were down or since I was down there. Since when you were because you were just there. Yeah, I was just there recently. It's this should be about the same. Man. But yeah, very uh, anti-American government there as well. Majorly so. <laughs> just one of the uh, one of the many journeys we uncovered during this. But um, but yeah, man, we'll be in touch, and I can't wait to watch the Henry fight, man. It's gonna be, and if he does another fight, you know, it'd be fun to keep following him, and I think he will. Of course, of course, I'm a huge Henry fan. So, uh, it was, it was super fun to work on this, and uh, I love the way it came out. It was awesome. So, uh, congrats. Congrats! I'm sure all the all the success from this documentary, all the all the feedback's been awesome, and uh, yeah, great job. Thank you, brother, and congrats to you, man. It's uh, it's always a little weird when it's done because it's such a big part of, uh, you know, my thoughts, and I'm sure yours as well. Like during it, and then like when it's done, it's like it's like it's like a friend's leaving almost. Like you've had this story yeah, in your yeah, head. Yeah. It's, it's like you weird... gave birth or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... You, you have you have postpartum depression. Oh, I definitely, I've gotten better at it now. This one, I had a very rigid week playing because the last two, I was in a weird spot for like a week after because it's just such a weird feeling. And and this one was was even bigger. So yeah, it's it's been awesome, man. And uh, like I said, to all the fans listening, thank you so much for the support. It's been overwhelming and you know we'll be back with a new one and uh, in due time. Riley Peterkin, thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club, who's putting on two camps this summer. Go to frogninjawrestlingclub.com if you're in the PA area and want to learn from some of the best in the business. Frogninjawrestlingclub.com. Register for their upcoming summer camps now. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!